I would like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Seppi. Hi everyone, I'm Seppi Compulsive Overeater. Hi, God, what a big meeting. Um, Hi. Oh, sure. Let's stop at um, quarter after six for questions. Um, I have 19 years of abstinence. Um, I probably my top weight was about 35 pounds more than now. Before I got to the program, I had a little anorexic phase where I was about 30 pounds less than now. Just, you know, for a New York man. But the primary thing is just compulsive overeating. So those are the numbers. Um, gosh, there's so much to, to say. Um, things are very different compared to the last time I was here. Um, I think some, one of the people who took a candle said that she hasn't quite gotten over the obsession and she's finding her way to that. And I'm sorry to say that it may take a while longer because <laughs> this thing is with you for life. Um, first of all, I want to say that um, a, I am, um, if, if all the miracles that happen to me can happen for everyone else in this room because there's absolutely nothing magical about me, nothing magical about my connection to God, nothing magical about how I do my work, uh, how I work my program. It's truly, honestly, um, no, how do I say this? Okay. Um, I was a little ballerina when I was a little girl growing up. And the thing that you learn in ballet, um, Russian-style ballet, which is infinitely harsher than any other style of ballet. Literally, the teachers would kind of hit you with a stick. You know, if you're a five-year-old, stick your stomach in, stick your butt, whatever. The thing you learn um, at a very early age is perfection. And anything short of that is disgraceful. So it was a very liberate, well, it was a foreign concept to come here and to hear um, you just have to aim for average in everything. I'm going to be all over the map, so bear with me. You know, just, I, I've been working 60, 70-hour weeks, which is not the norm for me, but it is becoming the norm for me, so I can't even see straight, so I apologize. I was sitting out front sleeping. <laughs> um, it was extremely liberating to come here and see all you have to do is average. You don't have to be perfect in anything. Somebody said all that I can do, well, all I've been doing right is showing up, and that's precisely what you have to do. That's the only thing that is required of you. Keep showing up. No matter what, no matter how much you don't want to, um, no matter how you feel like you haven't worked a good program, no matter what your last meal was like, no matter if you're sitting in your car binging on your way getting to, the, um, to a meeting and you do it again when you leave, just keep coming back. Something happens through osmosis. Um, I have, um, I'm a very different person than when I first came here. I don't have a, I don't, as far as I know, I don't have a history of dysfunction in my family, no alcohol, I mean, not my blood, not my mom and dad. Um, I, I do have alcoholism with other blood relatives. I can't blame it on them. I, they did get a divorce, but, you know, if that justified having an ism, half the, more than half the world would have some kind of an ism. Um, I really don't know why I was a skinny rail. Food, just my parents had to chase me to get me to eat. I 
only child, totally loved. I truly can't tell you why I started feeling different and less than. There was absolutely nothing that I can pinpoint it on. Um, but I did. And food started becoming the mechanism with which I started dealing with the feelings that I didn't know how to put my fingers on. Um, at around age 12, I think, 12, yeah. In, in like 12 months, my parents got a divorce, I had puberty, and I went to boarding school in England. So it like, um, And all of a sudden, I found myself eating toast and butter, and I can't stand butter. I just, I'm like, mm, why am I doing this? English food, yeah, that kind of puts on 50, 60 pounds right there. <laughs> when you're in boarding school, and right now, you know, it's very funny, when I hear what kids do in high school, it's mind-boggling to me. The worst thing that I could think of doing was to run away to buy chocolate. You know, now I, I, I think, I hear the things that kids do and you have to go through, you know, metal detector and stuff like that. I'm like, thank God, I, the worst I did was, was you know, Cadbury bars. It could, life could be a lot worse. Um, Never grew up with any kind of religious or spiritual center upbringing, anything. Um, I, I don't really want to spend too much time, well, I guess maybe I will. Um, boarding school then got weight, gained weight, became anorexic. Then I left England, came to college in the U.S. Um, and then I went to a co-ed dorm from an all-girls boarding school, so... It, I already wasn't well equipped to deal with life. Then add boys all of a sudden, um, and then they, then we had parties. And I soon came to understand that parties just meant let's get together and smoke pot. There were no more than two people. It was just called a party, but you just get together and smoke pot, and that was dreadful. I did it one time, and just I was like, ugh, what's the point of? You know, waste time going so slowly. It just, that didn't do it. Cocaine did. So I dabbled with all sorts of offers to lose my appetite. Basically, everything I've ever done in my life was to lose my appetite. And they were all very, very temporary. Because then what happens is you just crash and you eat fast. Or, you know, eat ten times as much. So that had a little dabble in that, nothing serious. And I thank my lucky stars all the time that that, that, it stayed with food. It is the beat. I just, you really, really, in retrospect, see how God has protected you, and you just didn't know it. It could have very easily gone another way, and I would have had two problems, because God knows food, food wouldn't have become normal. I would have had two problems. So it's just amazing to look back for all of us and see how many ways God has had your back, even when you complain about him or her. Um, then what happened? Okay, so I gained weights in college and stayed, you know, all sorts of diets, all sorts of, you know, money is just not an object, spend it, camps, doctors, psychiatrists. I remember I went to one psychiatrist here in Newport Beach, and he said to me, your worst fear is to be common, to be average, to be like everyone else. And I just wanted to, like, slap him. How dare you? That is what I want more than anything else. I just want to be like other people. I just want to eat like other people. I want to feel like other people. Well, I'm here to tell you that this disease is all about ego. Uh, I don't like hearing that. When I 
first read Chastity's book, I was rather offended. <laughs> what do you mean it's ego? And then soon came to understand that he's absolutely spot on right. It's all, any way you look at it, it's about ego. I only eat, well, sometimes I eat just because allergy has set up, set in, and, or I'm bored, but 95% of the time I overeat because I'm afraid. Why am I afraid? 100% of those occasions, it's, well, no, maybe 5% of those occasions, there is something to be really afraid of. But interestingly enough, when there's a real fear, when my life is in danger, or some other thing that a normal human being would respond to with fear, I actually don't want to eat. Um, the remainder of the time, I do want to overeat, and it always comes back to ego. Always. There is the fear of what will others think of me if. What will, how will I look if. I strongly recommend working these steps because what you discover, what I've discovered about myself, I would have never ever believed that those are the issues that really drive me. I would have totally thought that I'm a different person. I would have thought I'm a very brave person, that I'm in your face, that I'm right there for everyone, that I give 200% of myself. And all of those things were, very, were true on a very superficial level. And then when I started working the steps, I realized I did all of those things because I was afraid of not being liked or not being loved or being left behind. And then now I have the privilege of doing those things every now and then, and they're genuine. I, they really feel awesome. There's a big difference. Um, this, this disease is relentless. As I said, I have um, 19 years, and I've I'm going through one of those periods that I have really had to work hard on the, on, well, actually, I can't even say I have to work hard on the program because I'm working very, very long hours. I don't have time to do the things I used to do, but I'm constantly on halt. You know, the tired part of halt? I'm perpetually on halt. And guess what? God's got my back. Now, the fact that I'm talking about God, I'll explain that in just a second. Um, my babies call me. I have a new friend who just started calling me out of the blue in the middle of my business day, which is a treat. Right, right around the time where I'm you know, sitting there, adrenaline pumping, and I'm hyperventilating, I get a call, and it's always irritating because, you know, don't you know I have to get this out, I have to get that out? And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. Your abstinence depends on this. And I take the call, usually, um, and about 10 seconds, 20 seconds into the conversation, I, bre I start breathing, I calm down, and I realize that was a God shot. God just took care of me. The fact that I keep talking about God in and of itself is very strange because, as I said, I have no... Um, religious or spiritual upbringing. And when I first got here, um, didn't the first time I came here, somebody brought me here, and um, I had a bad car accident, and uh, I was unconscious for a couple of weeks. And when I woke up, I asked, you know, have I lost any weight? Which I have. Kind of happens when you're unconscious, even if they hate you. Um, and then I came here, and I saw this, and I was like. Well, you know what? I don't think so. This God business is just for losers. Uh, I don't think so. Um, but as they 
always say that the seed is planted. You just kind of know. In your heart of hearts, you know that you've got to come back and do this frigging thing. And I came back to do this frigging thing. And um, thank God they said that you don't have, there was absolutely, nothing was mandatory. Not, not, at least this is my recollection. Nothing. No prayer, no identification, no, no ritual, no way of, nothing, nothing, nothing was mandatory, as far as I recall. They just said, keep coming back. Somebody, and I did. I would always get in after the meeting had started, because I sure as hell didn't want to talk to anyone. And I always bailed. The minute they got to the uh, prayer, because I didn't know the Lord's Prayer, and I didn't want to hold anybody's hand and mumble. Um, so it took me about a year to actually you know, participate in that. Um, I had a lovely friend, a woman, who was my first sponsor, Liz, and she stopped by, and unbeknownst to me, she had maybe 10 days more abstinence than I did, and she was just trying to stay abstinent herself. And she helped me define my abstinence, which was just no refined sugar. And I, had to, I came up with a way of eating that I thought I could do for the rest of my life. And when I said no refined sugar, that led the door wide open for all sorts of things that are sweetened with other things. And certainly 19 years ago, I had much, I had fewer options. Now, you know, you go to 7-Eleven, there are many sugar-free things. Uh, and trust me, I've tried all of them. <laughs> and you kind of learn. <laughs> no, I'm not willing to pay this price. And sometimes you say, I'm not willing to pay this price, but I can't stop. And you just keep asking God. To this day, if I say I'm not going to have this today, it doesn't work. If I say I'm not going to have this today, guess what? By 10 o'clock, it's in my mouth. <laughs> I make a commitment. I get down on my knees. I ask this God to please help me not have this one thing. And um, the connection to God, he, I can hear him. I can take comfort in him. I can feel that it's not nothing is life or death. Um, if I'm not on halt, if I'm, if I take a few minutes, to, if I do what they tell me to do here, which is stop thinking about myself, just put the focus on somebody else, put the focus on somebody else, put the focus on somebody else. If I do that, I can breathe long enough to. I'm, I'm, right now, obviously, I'm just talking about work. I can breathe long enough to see that, oops, that's a gotcha. Ooh, that's a gotcha. Ooh, see how that worked out? Now, mind you, now I, you see these things. I mean, I, I absolutely concretely see if I just let God, He will. But I also have this. I mean, I, I, I'm not minimizing how hard it is to do this for someone who's new. It's difficult to recognize these things. He doesn't just open the skies and say, here, I'm, I'm with you, baby. Don't do that. It doesn't work out that way. You just, you string a few successes that together, however tiny. You know, if you said, I'm not going to have one bite of this. I'm going to have everything on my plate but one bite, one bite. If you do that one time, if you do that two times, that's all you have to do to start. Because probably the week before it was unprecedented. You couldn't do that. So it's just little itty bitty things that you string together and then when you look back on it you're like, yeah, I did this with God's help because I sure as hell couldn't have done it myself. So when I first got here, um, I was defeated enough to say, okay, whatever the hell you tell me to say, I'll say it. And the part in step two that says, uh, oh God, in, 12, in AA's 12 and 12, there's a part that says that the 
scientific, you had to hold the evidence to the, look at the data. You had to look at the data. So that, that part really got me. If I really prided myself on being a logical, scientific person, I had to look at the data. And I don't know why. Um, at that point, I didn't know too many alcoholics. But for some reason, I knew that this was a... This had a, a very solid track record, record with alcoholics and drug addicts. And I knew that alcoholism and drug addiction are serious, serious problems. So if it, if somehow this program had credibility for, in that area. I just couldn't quite understand that it applied to being a pig, which is what I consider oh. this doing. I'm a pig. How on earth? When is God going to intercept between me and my m and I just don't see it. I can see where God would intercept if you want to shoot up heroin, but how does that work with candy? It was, just didn't get it. But I got to, you know, I said, okay, I'm willing to believe whatever. And I did believe whatever, and of course, then it started, little itty-bitty, as I said, um, you know, the first, I've always said this in my pictures, the first time that the compulsion hit, um, and I managed to actually walk out of the store without buying a three-pound bag of M&M's. I'll never forget that euphoria. It was totally unprecedented. The first time I've done anything without, you know, the first few times I did, some, I did something without that, having a donut or a candy or something that I had always had for the last ten years prior to that. It was amazing. I just never want to forget it. Um, so my abstinence is no no refined sugar, and I've experimented with a lot of things that, that I'll be happy to talk about. Um, I'm here to say it's, it's perfectly possible to be crazy and abstinent. So don't think that, that just because you're abstinent that you know your, your behavior is sane. I'm, God knows I've got insane stuff. Um, I have probably weighed about seven, eight pounds less than I do now in the program. Probably at my lowest, seven, eight pounds less than now in the program. Worked out like a bandit, lost my period for a number of years. Every time I went to the doctor, they're like, your body fat is too low, you're exercising excessively. Now, I come to these rooms, and when I hear people talk about exercising five hours, compared to five hours, my one and a half wasn't excessive. Um, so I kept arguing back, and I, my body fat isn't... So, I mean, you know, it's just... Defiance, isn't that what, isn't step three says defiance is a characteristic? You'll just go down in flames making excuses and arguing with people. I did. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just telling you my experience. I did. Went down in flames. Um, I finally uh, went to a doctor when I just didn't have the energy to work anymore. I, I said, oh my God, I'm 40 years old. I can't work. How am I going to support myself till 65? I went to the doctor and he looked at my hormones and he said, well, you, no wonder you're low. You've got the estrogen level of a one-year-old girl. How have you been functioning? So um, then I started you know, eating more, incorporating nuts and some other things. And guess what? Everything worked out perfectly. Uh, so, but, the, but, I mean, I'm kind of digressing about in details, but it, these are all examples of defiance within the program. Within absence, I mean, I've always been coming to meetings. I've always spoken to my sponsor. I've um, never, uh, I don't know why, but thank God, I, it's just, it's a gift that I never thought to go on. I've had meals that were, I've had many meals that were uncomfortable. I've had sugar inadvertently. I had sugar one time when somebody made me Turkish coffee, and I knew there was sugar in it, but it was impolite for me to not have it. And I had to call my sponsor and say, 
I'm not, this isn't breaking my abstinence. So, you know, stuff like that happens. Don't, don't think that, that def, I don't know of anybody, um, who, aside from a few people who have it very black and white, that, you know, I will never have flower, blood, but I don't know of any old timer who hasn't had uh, imperfections with an abstinence. So for anybody who's, you know, looking for, this isn't sobriety people. You just try really, really hard. Really, really hard. And I mean, there's a line that if, if I go out and get a candy bar, clearly I've broken my abstinence. Um, okay. Now, this is the part that I want to, when I said all oh, if the miracles happen in my life. Now, everything in my life uh, is at a point that I would have, that I couldn't have even imagined. Um, personally, I just got married to, uh, three months ago for the first time to this just Lovely, gorgeous, sweet man. Just lovely. I, I can't say enough about him. It, he's so amazingly normal. I just want to bang my head. Um, he, just, he is so in awe of my program. He doesn't appreciate, you know, my 17 heads of lettuce and 2 million egg, eggs. You know, he wishes that I had a different diet. But he does. Guess what? Normal people don't judge you. He just, he makes, he's like, okay, honey, do you have enough heads of lettuce? <laughs> You know, are 18 eggs enough for tonight? I'm like, yeah, 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 honey. <laughs> so I'm just, it's a, a, the most amazing relationship. I didn't put him in my life. I did what other women in OA told me to do, and I was ready. I thought I was ready for it a lot sooner. If I, when, I, when I moved, actually, I was looking through my journals, and I'd been pining for this for many, many years in abstinence. And it happened when it happened, and I hated hearing that, 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 damn phrase, I just want to kill people when they say it happens when it happens. Well, I'm ready now. Uh, guess what? I am a very, very, if, if I'd met Wayne five years ago, two years, four years ago, whatever, um, I don't think, I, I don't know what would have happened, but I know I'm a very different person. Uh, professionally, um, I'm a partner in a very serious business, in a, in a, a, a global firm. Um, something that I would have never envisioned for myself. Um, I'm healthy. All of my loved ones are healthy. Everything is great. And my, not my wood, and my grandiose dreams, that, you know, the grandiosity, my grandiose daydreams couldn't possibly match um, what I have in real life. Because, you know, I kind of saw myself married to this handsome rich, this and that, uh, and I'm married to all of those things, but I didn't realize that it's possible for someone to love you and really not particularly care if you gain or lose weight. So that, there's something that God, what I'm trying to say is the other thing you always hear, hear, and that is that what God has in store for you is usually infinitely better than what you, have in, what you can envision. I did not think I could have what I have personally and professionally. It wasn't even that... Um, I didn't allow myself to dream those things. I literally, my imagination was too limited. I couldn't envision this kind of person, this much fun, this level of friendship. Um, now, having said all of that, with everything that is right, then comes where I want to talk about the obsession of the mind. When I said this disease is relentless and don't you kid yourself. For being t I've been married for three months and my life has changed. Um, I live in downtown now, so my commute to Central City is longer. I want to spend time with my husband as opposed to exercising in a gay gym for hours on end. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, 
um, I uh, my work, whereas I used to have, you know, um, occasions where I would have 50-hour weeks. Now I'm going on, you know, week 10, 11 of a 50, 60-hour week, and I, with no end in sight. My, you know, June and July are probably not going to be very attractive. So a number of things have changed because of the things in my life that are right. This is a very, very rich life, people, and I'm eternally grateful, and I write a gratitude list. But what that means is that I don't have the energy to go work out an hour and a half, five times a week. What that means is if I don't expend as many calories as I used to and continue to eat like I did, I'm going to gain weight. Physics, one-on-one. And I don't like that. And I've probably gained like three, four pounds in the last two, three months. And um, this is the part what I say that my mind is obsessed with that, with everything that is right in my life and with everything that is so right in my life and I've waited for it for so long, the disease focuses on that. And as I said, it all goes back to ego. Why ego? Because I am so invested in my skinny body. And I have judgment. Other people truly do not couldn't care less about me. They don't look at my ass. They don't, oh God, I'm being recorded. Um, <laughs> other people truly do not track, you know, the ups and downs of my body as closely as I do. They, it's imperceptible to my best friends. But I am, I am obsessed with this. And this is where I go back to, to six and seven. It's all, that's what I, you know, I hope I brought it full circle. It's always about ego, one way or the other. It is always about ego for me. And Chuck C. just does a beautiful job of saying that in that new pair of glasses. And you know, this, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just regurgitating stuff that it's all there for everyone to go pick up and read. Um, I think the books in, and so what, what did I do differently? This, the, the only thing I can do differently, I don't have, I can't beat myself up in it. There's nothing I can do. If I could have, I would have, and I wouldn't be in a 12-step program. I have a definition. I mean, I, I have a problem, which, you know, this, which is why I'm here. The only thing I can do is to stay in the solution. So after eons, um, yesterday I had a 6 a.m. conference call, and then so proceeded to just be a couch potato for the rest of the day. Couldn't move. But I dragged myself out of bed at 7 a.m. to go hear my best friend to talk in a meeting at um, 8.30, uh, which, you know, Debbie knows me. 8.30, I'd better only see it at night, not in the morning. Um, so, but I, I got my ass there. You have to. You have to. You do. You have to just do the simple things that they tell you to do, and God will do his work. I did it. And you know what? Being around some people who had three, four, three months, four months, a year, two years, it's just, I got such an attitude adjustment. It was awesome. I had to speak here. And I knew that if I went home, I would, pr- I would crash. I would have an you know, extra bowl of oatmeal. I sat in, I, you know, I used to live in Brentwood. Um, I wish I had my place again. Um, I sat in front of this building for an hour before the meeting started. And killed time. You do whatever you have to do to not eat. You do whatever you have to, that you can do. I mean, at some level, God has to do it for you. But it is up to you to do inconvenient things, things you don't want to do, um, things that are humbling. Uh, 
trust me, it's not fun for me to stand up here and say that, you know, I have to do this at 19 years. My sponsor keeps saying, honey, it gets better after 24. <laughs> what? And guess what? When um, she used to say that to me when I was 10, about, you know, 16, 17, she was absolutely right. There's no surrogate for time. Um, I don't mean to say that, okay, that didn't come out right. Um, just keep doing it and you will get the time. Just keep doing it and you'll get the time. But it is, I used to wish that I, I were an alcoholic. It's just so much more glamorous. And you don't have to, it, it really, I mean, well, this is the level of my thinking, honey. So, yeah, I know, I know. I used to go to, that, that in and of itself tells you something, doesn't it? I used to go to AA meetings, but I, you know, sometimes uh, couldn't fit enough OA meetings. I used to go to AA meetings, but they just look so glamorous to me. And I, I would think, God, I want to be like these women. They weigh, you know, 90 pounds, and they don't have a care, and, you know, that. Then they get up and talk, and they've come out of, off of a two-month bender on meth. And I'm like, oh, no wonder. <laughs> so then, then you kind of hear these things. But this was my, my level of sanity in, within program. Oh, I wish I were an alcoholic. So I'm telling you, you can be perfectly crazy within this program. But the good, I mean, with abstinence and with working the steps, and with, we're talking to people and sharing your feelings and writing. And I have become so grateful for every one of those meetings, for every one of those thoughts. Uh, I'm just not, a, and it, it just, I can't say enough about how much I cherish this program. And it's a formula that works for everyone. You just do the little things they tell you to do. I swear to God, you'll get the miracles they tell you everyone else has had. There's nothing, there's no trick. I used to think, yeah, but it happens for them, not for me. That's not the way God works. There's nothing selective about God. Absolutely nothing selective. Um, what else do I want to say? Oh, God, it's close to time. Um, I think the words of the big book are absolutely divinely inspired. Um, when I read the words... Um, I, at first, I used to think it's a metaphor, and just kind of every other word would sink in. Oh, isn't that a pretty story? Thank you. Now I read the the, the words. Um, you know, the first 168 pages. Better. 100. Okay. Um, I read them like a textbook. I love them. The words, if you sometimes really read them and reread, they're just. They're truly divinely inspired. I don't know what else to say. They are applicable to every situation I've ever been in. I've been through breakups, through deaths, through two layoffs, through um, car accidents, through moves, through breakup of friendships that were, you know, all sorts of things that I that I didn't think I could do any of them without a 30, 40 pound weight loss, a uh, weight gain rather. And all I did was, after every last one of them, is to call two or three trusted people in OA, and they carried me. They absolutely carried me. Thank you very much for letting me share. All righty. What questions? Yes. Thank you for your share. Sure. Can you talk about your experience of working with six and seven? Yes. Um, the first few times that I did it officially, I would say... Um, let me read it first. Oh, should I refer? Oh, no, that wrong. I'm reading tradition. Okay, first I had to, um, before I became, yeah, it's over there too. Before I, I had to become, uh, asking to remove it. First of all, I had a wonderful sponsor, Renee, who said, uh, 
Character defects are not ticks that God removes for you. you know, just, they're gone. It's, a, it's an iterative process. You're going to keep working on it forever, and then it, it just gets back in varying, in varying um, degrees. So the first few times that I did it, I would write what the character defect was and how it was serving me, how it had served me over the years, and how it was continuing to serve me. And I had to get to the point where I got convinced that it had stopped serving me. Um, having what I thought was a sense of humor, which actually was a woody sense of humor, which actually wasn't. It was just a catty sense of humor um, that was probably driven by ego. Hello, surprise again. So first I had to write what the character defect was and write all the ways in which over the years why I had developed it because, you know, you kind of figure, after a while you realize you develop these things for a reason. You're not just, you know, defective. Somehow they worked at some point. Then when I wrote out how they served me, then I wrote out what the opposite of the character defect was. So if it was... Um, you know, uh, being catty, then the opposite of it was, was you don't open your mouth unless you have something very nice to say. Or you say something nice even if you don't want to. So the responsibility is define the character defect, how it has served you, what the opposite of it is. And then I humbly ask God to remove it, my shortcomings. Then I would try my darndest to do the opposite and then rely and trust that he would make it easier with time. And it, it worked. Okay, any other questions? Oh, yes. Um, can you talk about, I always ask this, if you've had like, body image issues, what you've done to overcome them. Sure. Okay. Um, it's been solved. No, I think, I know, that actually part of what I was saying is that it's, it's an ongoing process. No, it's not soft. I, I will go to my grave not seeing myself the way other people, the world sees me. But, the, but now I'm, I'm very, very convinced, um, and I remind myself, and I'm surrounded by people who remind myself that it's an a- absolute fact that my perception of my body is off. I'm an extremely bright person, and I can assess a number of situations very, very accurately, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I, I, don't, I don't read this accurately. So, um, you know, first there's the, you know, what you weigh against the charts, then there's what size you wear, then there is, that, you know, I've looked at, at pictures of myself in early abstinence where, um, at the time, if you'd spoken to me, I would have told you, I, I need to lose 10 pounds. And I'm looking, and I'm like, ooh, I have a lollipop look going there. My head is infinitely bigger than the rest of my body. And I probably have the same thing right now. Uh, I know that I don't see it accurately. Just as surely as I have frizzy hair, I, have a, I don't see myself accurately. So as far as that is concerned, I'm, I'm not going to get to a point where I will see it accurately. Um, the only thing I can do is to trust that my trusted friends are not lying to me and there are a few who are trusted. And I know that I've never lied to them, so I trust they don't lie to me. So first, I take in what they say. And second, I realize the minute I go into that, um, that self-hatred is serving to take me out of the moment. 
I'm not in the world. I'm not with my husband. I'm not with my best friend. I'm not in that moment. I'm having a conversation. My gums are flopping, and I'm thinking about my thighs. So I just have to bring myself to the moment. So I, I can't tell you what that I'm fixed. I just know that in that area I'm permanently broken and the solution is to to just not even go there. And I go there a million times a day and I have to pull myself back. So, no magic formula. You just become diligent in pulling yourself back. I'm sorry? We're done? Oh, 